Fish Bites is back. Eli Sussman here, managing editor at Fish Stripes, hosting you through another episode of our flagship podcast show, talking all things Miami Marlins related. You can find us online, fishstripes.com, uh, across all of social media, at Fish Stripes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, etc. Fish Stripes. And the podcast itself is available on all your preferred platforms when you just search for Fish stripes coming up really fast on this new 2020 Marlin season. By this time next episode, we're going to have real games to react to, which is why on this particular show, I wanted to cover a subject uh, before we really see anything on the field. There are 65 players in Marlin's Major League Camp this year who will try to factor in into this upcoming 2020 season plans before any roster moves get made. And for most of them, they already have a realistic sense of where they fit in this team. Uh, as excited as we are for Brian Anderson to take another leap forward for Corey Dickerson to mash the ball. Um, those are the type of guys that already understand their place on the team. We're going to cover all the 65 plus players at Marlins camp at some point on fist drives, but we need to pay special attention to the ones that are on the bubble in some respects, whether their future with the organization is in doubt or simply they don't, they could go either way in terms of being a major leaguer or a minor leaguer. Once the season opens up, some players have opt-outs in their contracts if they don't get into the situation that they want. This is the things that the Marlins have to juggle themselves. There is a misconception, I believe, where we look at spring training as this time of rich competition of roster battles position battles, whatever that, that phrase is that people love to throw at this time of year. Uh, my staff and I, we're guilty of that as well, always looking at competition and battles and really digging deep into this stuff, when the reality is most of these decisions are made before spring training. Uh, the Marlins have to put together a 60-20-60, a 26-man active roster and set a 40-man total roster heading into the year, and I can guarantee you that most of those decisions have already been made. Although spring training is the most recent sample that they have to judge, both what they do in Grapefruit League games and what they do in workouts, the more relevant samples are the previous season, 2019, even going back a couple years for a larger sample, um, off-season leagues, competitive winter leagues, uh, even just analytically measuring the tools that these players show in games uh, during the major league season or in minor league affiliates, all those are registered to provide TrackMan data where you can really get measurables on all the tools that these players have. All of these data points are already processed by the Marlins uh, Baseball Operations Department. They already took all this stuff into consideration, and spring training is still important because you need to factor in injuries. Marlins, as of this recording, thank goodness, are 100% healthy. The same cannot be said for many other teams. It's inevitable that once you start really ramping up these workouts, you need to look at backup plans when some an issue arises. And so you need to put together this kind of depth, even though it's more depth than you can realistically sustain heading into the regular season. But it's important to have all these candidates in camp. The reality is 
is that we can already project with a lot of confidence where these players are going to go once the meaningful games start. This episode is going to be focusing on those players on the bubble, the ones who I believe are under the most pressure this spring. Ideally, all of them want to force their way onto the Marlins active roster and and to stay there. Uh, At the very least, they want to have a place in this organization long term. They want to know that they have a significant role available to them at some point in the near term future. What they do during spring training may go a long way towards actually deciding that. These are the ones in the real roster position battles. These are the ones who have the most to prove if they want to have a comfortable spot moving forward, if they want the opportunity for them to be successful major leaguers to come in the Marlins organization, they need to step up. What I did is I picked out 10 that I ranked in order from 10 to 1 that I'll be revealing in just a moment. In the process of narrowing it down to 10, there are some honorable mentions that obviously came to mind, but who I felt aren't quite on the hot seat in the same way that these top 10 players are. The honorable mentions that came up in this deliberation include John Birdie, who made his Marlins debut in the middle of last season, had an injury, came back in the second half of the season, and was point blank one of the best players on the Marlins, one of the most valuable players, as a combination of his defensive versatility, his amazing base running, and the fact that surprisingly he was more or less a league average hitter, despite having some big issues in the high minors with previous organizations. Birdie, considering how well he played last year and the unique way that he impacts the game with his legs, I'm feeling with a high degree of confidence that he'll make the active roster, even if it is in um, a deep bench role. And at the very least, he has minor league options remaining. That is an important component that you'll hear me mentioned again and again with these players. How many minor league options do you have? If for whatever reason, Birdie uh, shows no offensive aptitude in spring training, if he reverts back to the form that made him a like no-name minor league signing at this time a year ago, and he gets sent down to AAA Wichita, well, the Marlins can do that. They have the flexibility to do that and still keep him in their plans long-term. So he's under some pressure to back up his offensive production to legitimize what he did late last season, but um, he has the inside track of being a major leaguer for most, if not all, of the 2020 season. Victor Victor Mesa, another honorable mention, who was such a big name signing a year and a half ago, along with Victor Jr., his brother out of Cuba, uh, the older Victor Victor being arguably the most expensive international amateur free agent signing in Marlins history, and he face-planted in 2019. You'll remember that he was also invited to Major League Spring Training a year ago, despite having no experience in affiliated ball at that time, and he played more or less the whole season. Some minor injuries that began in spring training last year with a hamstring issue, but he was on the field a lot last year, including the Arizona Fall League, and he did not look anything like the player that the Marlins had hyped him up to be, that he was initially projected to be. And all of a sudden, there's just very little optimism of him being an impactful everyday starting outfielder in the major leagues. But it's still early. He's still 23 years old. No matter what he does this spring, he's not going to be on the opening day roster. And no matter how poorly he does this spring, he's going to be remaining in the organization and expected to open up the year with every day at bats. I do think there is some pressure on him to show aptitude with the bat. It's it's somewhat like a John Birdie example um, 
although his, his pedigree is so much different, he's the type of player where you really like what he brings defensively and as a base runner. The only way that you can see a significant role for him in the majors in the future is if he can actually get on base in the first place against high-level pitching. He didn't get many reps at all during exhibition games last spring because of that hamstring injury. This is an opportunity to put some minds at ease and at the very least show that he can get his bat on the ball consistently, even if he can't put a a major impact on the ball. Those contact skills are also going to be a very important aspect of his game moving forward. Drew Steckenrider, another honorable mention. He's coming off a significant elbow strain last year that shortened his year last year. He barely pitched at all for the majors, for the Marlins in the majors last year. Let me get the exact numbers. Yeah, just 15 appearances, 14 and a third innings pitched, and he was terrible. Uh, a 6-2-8 ERA, a fielder independent pitching around eight. He led six home runs in such a small sample size. Clearly wasn't right. His velocity was down a little bit, but more importantly, he just could not locate the ball whatsoever. I mean, very quietly, he's going to be 29 years old this coming year. Uh, For the Marlins, no haste to make a decision on him. He still has minor league options remaining, and he is not that far removed from being really effective in their bullpen. If you remember, for a significant chunk of the 2018 season, kind of in May and June of that year, he had a long scoreless streak in there, and when he's on, he doesn't give out free passes whatsoever. He's, he's a guy that pounds the zone and can really put batters away because of the spin on his fastball and his, how he complements that with his slider. He's trying to reestablish himself because even though this Marlins bullpen has been totally gutted from what happened last year and redone, um, they have some guys that are already penciled in to certain, certain roles, and Steckenrider isn't necessarily one of them. So he's going to try to reestablish himself. Worst case scenario, he gets optioned down to the minors, and he may have a chance to come up later this year. It's just been a pretty dramatic turn for the worst for Steckenrider, considering how effective he looked early in 2018, and considering that he's directly coming off that elbow injury. One other reliever in these honorable mentions, Sterling Sharp, who was their Rule 5 draft pick out of the Washington Nationals organization, a starting pitcher for almost all of his minor league career heading into his age 25 season. Being a Rule 5 pick, he cannot be optioned down at any point this year. He's got to be healthy. He's got to be relatively healthy. You need to spend more or less about half of the season on the active roster, and if not that, you have to be injured or rehabbing a certain injury. The early thinking is that he'll be a long man out of the bullpen because of his experience uh, being a starter in the past, and especially this past fall in the fall league, He was there with Victor Victor Mesa, and unlike Victor Victor, he made a really strong impression on a lot of people. It was somewhat surprising that he was available in the first place in the Rule 5. He has some upside to be a starting pitcher long-term if everything works out for him, if he establishes an effective breaking ball to go along with his fastball control and his changeup generates a lot of ground balls. That's something we've covered already on the website as part of our 2020 season preview. All that being said, he doesn't have experience above the double A level heading into this year, and he's a guy that tries to compete without premium fastball velocity. So 
there is a circumstance if he doesn't do well in spring training games at all, if he looks completely overmatched, then the Marlins may be tempted to return him in order to give someone else in their organization an opportunity to fill out the pitching staff. The Marlins have a lot of arms in the organization that are trying to break through to the majors at the same time, and only so many spots available. They acquired Sharp because they believe that he's of that caliber where they can consider they can see themselves building around him, having him part of their long-term core, being an, an arm in primarily as a starter. But yeah, he's going to have to perform a little bit in those Grapefruit League games just to show that he has the poise and he has the stuff to compete against major league hitters. Hasn't done that before. A little bit of pressure on him, not quite as much as these following guys ranked from number 10 to number one, the Marlins players under the most pressure this spring training. In my opinion, the Marlins player with the 10th most pressure on him entering spring training games, right-hander Jose Ureña, entering his age 28 season. He's the two-time defending Marlins opening day starter, and he's a long shot to get that opportunity again here in 2020. Don Mattingly has not announced his rotation to this point or even named an opening day starter for sure. But what he has commented on is that Orania is being brought along as a starter, being stretched out for that kind of workload entering this year, which is notable because he did finish last year as a reliever, uh, closing games and then setting up and doing a mediocre job in those roles. But he's once again being reinserted into the rotation. Uh, the question being whose rotation that he'll be pitching in once the real games come up would be with the Marlins or possibly traded to someplace else. We're to assume that Sandy Alcantara, Caleb Smith, Pablo Lopez are locked in to the rotation health permitting. So that's three spots already down. Arania has a longer track record, but also has been very frustrating in that he simply does not miss the kind of bats that he needs to. When opponents make contact, he gets hit really hard. Last year, um, comparing his stats, doing a blind comparison between his starting numbers and Eliezer Hernandez's starting numbers, you'll find that Hernandez was actually slightly better than Urania as a starter for the 2019 Marlins. So if you have those three spots locked in, if you have Jordan Yamamoto, who impressed at times last season in his rookie year in the rotation, then there's one other spot up for grabs between Urania and Eliezer Hernandez, and another player that is higher up on this list, who, who we'll be mentioning shortly. Uh, what Arena has is some security. He doesn't have any minor league options left. Well, he's at a point in his career, service time-wise, where they cannot actually option him down without getting his consent, and he certainly wouldn't give his consent, considering what he has accomplished at the major league level. Uh, a very likely possibility is that Arena does get traded to another team between now and opening day, there are plenty of semi-contenders who this offseason didn't want to pay the going rate for free agent starting pitchers. That means they still have uh, some urgency to add talent before the season begins, and Urania, uh, at a $3.75 million salary, uh, gets a raise from the previous year, but that is just a fraction of the going rate for a mid or back end of the rotation starting pitcher. So he would presumably still have some positive trade value as long as he's healthy as this camp goes on. By all accounts, he is certainly healthy, putting in those grueling workouts. Conditioning has never really been a big issue 
for him. It's just been the bottom line performance where you look at his career and he hasn't been all that much better than a replacement level pitcher. That being said, he is the longest tenured Marlins player. And that's probably a a big reason why I decided to fit him within the top 10 is that he's been here his entire professional career since 2008. 2008, nearly half of Marlins history has had Jose Arrena within the organization, which really blows you away putting it in that perspective. So that would certainly be unsettling for him, I would think, to get traded to a foreign environment, even if it means having an opportunity to pitch regularly. So the best opportunity that he has to stay here is to come out guns blazing in spring training, to really dominate, to show a slightly different pitch mix. That's something that Don Manley has hinted at in previous interviews, that they're going to try to mix up his his pitch mix in his arsenal to try to get more swings and misses. So we'll see if that pays off in spring games. And um, he's a guy that, if you can't even see the Marlins keeping him long-term, considering his lack of club control, considering all the alternatives within their system, he could still be an asset to the team this season when they're putting such a premium on winning more games than they did in 2019. A healthier Reina, one who is perhaps more cerebral than before on the mound, and hopefully more effective on the mound. He could be a part of the solution, at least for the first few months of this regular season. So he has to get out there, and he needs to perform in Grapefruit League games. Number nine under the most pressure is one that you probably aren't expecting to include here, Daniel Castano. Somewhat of a surprise invite to Marlins spring training. I I shouldn't say total surprise. It's just that he was picked out over some other alternatives. He was the fourth piece included in the Marcel Ozuna trade package that came back from the Cardinals. Uh, Castano, pretty quickly on when he arrived in the Marlins organization, he faded into the background. He pitched a little bit at low A and then high A levels uh, before the middle of this past season where he had somewhat of a breakthrough. He was moved up into double A Jacksonville, initially pitching out of their bullpen, And then as an opening arose in their rotation, he stepped in and he was excellent. He was really excellent the last couple months of the 2019 regular season. He's now 25 years old. Um, Just look at the the resume and the skill set. He would be someone that I would compare to other arms in the organization, like a Brett Graves, a Dustin Beggs, Cody Poteet. And yet Castano is the one that got the invite to Major League Spring Training, and none of those other names uh, made the cut, which I think is significant. So this is a guy that does not throw hard at all. I think his fastball velocity last year may have maxed out in the low 90s and sitting in the high 80s. There's a big question about how he'll be able to handle Major League hitters, and frankly, the expectation of him as recently as a year ago is that he was just a depth arm within the system who wasn't going to be around in the major leagues. But we included in the honorable mentions someone like Sterling Sharp, who is likely to be on the active roster, but someone that you can't totally lock into that position considering his experience. If the Marlins do happen to have an opening on their pitching staff for a long man, even if you want to call it a mop-up duty, that's certainly better than pitching in the minor leagues. Castano is not on the Marlins' 40-man roster, so he could be retained in the organization. Uh, They don't have to worry about using official minor league options on him and all that. This is more of the pressure on him because 
Um, you can't really get inside of Castano's head, but he was at a point not too long ago where um, it would it was very hard to see any path of him reaching the majors. And now, coming off a really strong finish to the season with Jacksonville, where he showed a great ability to keep the ball in the ballpark overall between multiple levels, pitching over 100 innings last year and only allowing four home runs, which is something that becomes even more relevant this coming year now that the fences at Marlins Park are being brought in. He's he's interesting, and that's again that's a step up from where he was previously viewed as a, a piece of this pitching depth that the Marlins organization had by impressing in spring training, even though it's highly unlikely that he'll be able to crack the active roster considering the commitments to some of these other pitchers, the upside that some of these other pitchers have in the more consistent track record, whereas Castano is leaning very heavily on how he finished the 2019 season, he can at least ensure that he moves up the chain and they find room for him with AAA Wichita. And, and from there, maybe there is a path for him to get called up at some point during the 2020 season. Number eight on this list is right-hander Jeff Brigham. Fishbite subscribers are well aware of how the Marlins have totally overhauled the bullpen that they had last season, uh, and Brigham is one of the few survivors. He wasn't on the opening day roster, got called up, uh, called up, sent down, called up, sent down a few times last season. All in all, he made about 32 appearances out of the bullpen in the major leagues last year. 4.46 ERA, 5.07 FIP. Uh, not all that overwhelming on the surface. When you dig deeper, though, the one thing that really intrigues me about Brigham is that fastball velocity jump that he experienced last year. He was previously being developed by the Marlins almost his entire career as a starting prospect. And just last year, when it was clear that he was squeezed out of the rotation picture, he was having some trouble developing his changeup that he became strictly a two-pitch guy, fastball and slider. With the reduced workload and with the focus on those two pitches, his velocity shot up. Last year in the major leagues, with his four-seam fastball, he averaged 96.6 miles per hour. I don't think enough people really noticed that, that he jumped from 93 the previous year to 96.6, one of the hardest throwers on the staff, right behind someone like Ryan Stanek. The difference with Brigham from someone like Stanek is that he has a much shorter major league track record. I mean, just a cup of coffee in 2018, and then last year, uh, despite really interesting attributes of his pitch mix, he his effectiveness was very middling, rep- replacement-level kind of production overall. But it's his fastball velocity and the spin rate on his slider, nearly 3,000 revolutions per minute. I, I looked it up. There's only a handful of pitchers in all of baseball out of the hundreds who throw a slider that spin it at a higher rate than Brigham does. That allows it to make a lot of late movement and get some swings and misses. So I really like his potential to take a step forward this year. And um, if there's anybody on this entire Marlins pitching staff that has that Nick Anderson out of nowhere potential to be a great reliever, if there's anybody who has that, and I'm not so sure that there is anybody, but Brigham is my dark horse candidate to really break out. There are plenty of factors that need to be taken into consideration when the Marlins are filling out this pitching staff. You want to make sure that the players you have on minor league deals, that they're willing to stay in the organization during the season, and there are other guys with various commitments, ones who are on guaranteed contracts, uh, veteran statuses, the Rule 5 situation with Sterling Sharp. There's only so many like available spots that are winnable 
within their bullpen right now. And Brigham is someone that is in that direct competition, not necessarily someone that will open up the season as a setup guy, even though I think he has that potential. Uh, and the reality is, is that there is a circumstance where he does get optioned down to AAA Wichita just because of that numbers game, trying to fit all the guys on your roster that you need to fit if you want to hold on to them long term. Uh, I mean, hopefully Brigham does get an extended look at some point during the regular season, but you know how this that stuff goes. If the Marlins do have some other relievers that sneak onto that roster and overachieve, then that opportunity is not guaranteed. He could be in the same situation as he was early last year, where he got called up and sent down pretty abruptly a couple times before really sticking down the stretch when they simply needed his arm, when they were out of depth. The Marlins are not going to be in that same situation. They're not going to be handing out extended looks to the guys out of necessity. You're going to have to really earn it and perform well. And for Brigham, that starts that starts right now to make himself a priority. He's someone that, in my eyes, is really going head-to-head with Drew Steckenrider for a roster spot, both of them being hard-throwing right-handers that if you squint closely, you can see great potential in them. But the reality is, because of their options situation, because of the other priorities in their relief mix that some tough decisions will need to be made and what they show during this exhibition schedule will go a long way as they try to split hairs and decide how exactly this group comes together. Seventh on the list, second baseman Isan Diaz, the reigning Marlins minor league player of the year. A lot of players had big offensive success in AAA last year with the changes that were made to the ball. But Isan, especially, relative to his peers at that position, really stood out, put himself on that fringe top 100 overall prospect status right before his call-up in August, and he made it to the majors, and in his very first game, he hit that triumphant home run against Jacob deGrom that went viral, and after that, he really struggled. He had a bad rookie partial season. There's really no way around it. He had a handful of home runs. Uh, Also had a handful of miscues defensively at second base, and overall just a lot of swing and miss to his game, but um, even more so it was a lack of of aggressiveness at the plate that led to a lot of deep counts, strikeouts looking, getting underneath the ball when he was swinging at it. Um, It just didn't translate as well as everybody hoped it did, but someone that the Marlins didn't have a whole lot of second baseman in their pipeline to look forward to. They understood that Starlin Castro's contract was expiring this offseason, and um, entering this offseason, Isan was, of course, the front runner to be their everyday second baseman. Then they made a pretty interesting move in getting Jonathan VR when he unexpectedly became available on the trade market, and with someone like VR, he is he has a willingness to play multiple positions, but he's going to be a priority for them to get into the lineup in some role every single day. And the possibility that needs to be considered is that if Isan uh, continues to carry over his struggles from last year into spring training, and Marlins may consider just optioning him down to AAA to get steady playing time, and they might just plug in VR as their second baseman for an undetermined amount of time to give them real quality at-bats at that position. Isan is just heading into his age 24 season. He should only be getting better from what we saw 
last year. It was certainly a longer year than he's ever had to put up with before between the AAA season and playing close to every day down the stretch in August and September, but he has some adjustments to make to his game. Diaz has plus raw power. He has really good instincts in the field as well, so he has the potential to be a solid player up the middle in that aspect and overall just be a nice, well-rounded player that you want to have in your plans long-term. There just needs to be some evidence of those adjustments if or in order to really lock him in to the roster coming out of camp. Right-hander Robert Duggar is under the sixth most pressure in spring training this year, coming off his major league debut last year down the stretch. He got the call-up, I believe, on the same day as Isan Diaz did, and he stuck in the rotation from that point forward with some mixed results, a couple great outings, uh, a couple flops in there. And he made a really interesting adjustment during the offseason, adding on a lot of muscle and reportedly increasing his fastball velocity. That was the big question mark with him when he got called up. The reason why he, he was someone that was on their top 30 prospects list pretty consistently ever since the Marlins traded to get him from the Mariners a couple years ago. But he was never a high priority for them developmentally just because of that lack of fastball quality, both the velo and just the overall quality of the pitch that it wouldn't allow him to get the ball by batters. It wouldn't let them set up his slider, which has some nice swing and miss potential. And by adding some strength onto his frame, that could have really positive consequences for him. It's going to be a really complicated competition, though, because you have someone like Urania, who's in a different status, who has more of a track record here, and it's no guarantee that Urania is going to be traded. That's, uh, I believe that's probably the the goal that the Marlins have, is that Urania pitches well, well enough to get them something interesting in return, and that all, all the other guys in that rotation competition also pitch well, so that they have confidence in trading Urania and getting really comparable production, whether it's out of Elias or Hernandez or Robert Duggar, uh, but Duggar did not have as long of a exposure in the rotation as Elliot's or Hernandez did last year, and he, he doesn't have that one plus pitch that you can really trust moving forward in the way that Elias or Hernandez has that slider. That's why I didn't include Hernandez in this situation, because I, I think he's shown enough raw ability that they're going to find room for him on the pitching staff or be able to definitely fit him in during the season in a significant role. With Duggar, he's more fringy. He's more fringy. He needs to make sure that this newfound fastball velocity carries over to the season and make sure that he's able to pair that pitch with the rest of his arsenal in order to get more weak contact, because he was shelled at times last year, giving up some really long home runs uh, to various teams that he faced in the major leagues. And the limited shot that he had in AAA right before his call-up, that went pretty poorly as well. So it's a big test for him at this point to show that he's still going to be a priority for the organization. They have this wave coming up behind him with Nick Neidert, who has been with him every step of his career, but but Neidert is a guy that has that great changeup, and he has that pinpoint command. Of course, there's Sixto Sanchez in that same next wave coming up, expected during the season, where Sixto, and even a little further down the road, Edward Cabrera. There, There's a lot of reinforcements coming up for this Marlins team. It, Duggar wants to continue to have a, a spot on the team in the meantime, and not just be that depth arm uh, hanging around at AAA while other guys pass him by, uh, he needs to show that improvement in his raw ability. Number five on the list is going to be Matt Kemp. 
outfielder slash first baseman, both positions, a guy that every step along in his major league career, 14 major league seasons, he's always been an outfielder and occasionally a a great outfielder for the Dodgers, one who has an NL MVP in his history. And as recently as 2018, he was a National League All-Star. But he's coming off a really discouraging season with both the Cincinnati Reds and then within the New York Mets organization. He had he looked like someone that is potentially washed up when he was on the field for the Reds early last season. And the trend has been, even before that, even when he was an all-star for the 2018 Dodgers, even when he was in the middle of the lineup for the Braves, and the Padres before that, his outfield defense has been in decline for a sustained period of time. There's really no way around it. He's a big liability in the outfield, even if you stick him in one of the corner spots, which has led to this interesting report out of Marlin Spring Training that he's been working out at first base, that that's going to be a significant um, priority for him this coming season, learning that position and making himself versatile. We've had pretty strongly worded Reports from both Craig Mish and also from Joe Fersaro of MLB.com expressing some confidence that Kemp is going to be on the roster, that he's a strong chance of being on the roster. He has that pre-existing relationship with Don Mattingly from their Dodger days, and he has that long track record. They must believe in him as a nice veteran mentor, someone who has been around, done a lot. And we know how important some of these other outfielders are for the Marlins long term. So it certainly helps to have somebody that they can look up to. They had Curtis Granderson last year. Kemp is a little younger than Granderson. Maybe they have more confidence in him uh, leading by example instead of just you know leading by being in the in the dugout in in lecturing guys. Um, I'm I don't really see a great upside to this, even if he recaptures his 2018 form. He's someone that wouldn't be starting on an everyday basis. He's more of a platoon player that can really mash left-handed pitching. But we need to just react to what the Marlins are seeing themselves. And so if they believe he's likely to be in this situation, Kemp still has to perform a little bit on the field because this whole narrative coming into the year is taking that big step forward from where this team was at the major league level last year, 57 wins, 105 losses, and Of course, the biggest issue, especially at the start of the year and then at points throughout the entire season, really, is that the lineup was just uh, abysmal and they had stretches of just awful production getting shut out regularly. So they need guys that are consistent hitters that work deep counts and, of course, don't give up all that value that they generate defensively. They want more well-rounded players and versatile players. So Kemp has to prove that versatility in first base and He needs to hit a little bit after not doing so at all with the Reds in 2019. He's under a lot of pressure, even if he has those allies within the Marlins organization, uh, especially someone like Don Mattingly. Uh, He he flamed out with the Reds. He was with the Mets for only a couple weeks in their AAA team before being released. If he can't make the Marlins roster coming off this bad season, uh, with um, even with expectations of improvement, this is a relatively low pressure environment as far as Major League Baseball goes. If he can't make this team, who else is going to give him an offer? Being a 35-year-old who's a couple of years removed from being a productive Major Leaguer, even if he gets other offers from teams, it could be contingent on him spending an extended amount of time in the minor leagues. 
so there's even if there's a high probability that he's able to get on this Marlins team to serve in that veteran role, um, there's also a lot to lose because if he does not make the team, he might be done as a professional baseball player, which is going to be a hard thing to accept for a guy that has been around for so long and accomplished a lot in the major leagues. Moving on to number four under the most pressure, catcher Chad Wallach who is entering his age 28 season and is coming off a really frustrating year. He opened last year impressing a lot of people, myself included, during spring training. He looked great, um, both as a receiver and with his newfound hard-hit ability. Someone who had a very mixed track record offensively in the high levels of the minor leagues, he mashed the ball last year in spring training, and that carried over early into the regular season. It feels like ancient history, but he spent the first couple months of last season as the backup to Jorge Alfaro at catcher, and he hit the ball almost as hard as Alfaro does. It was a big surprise early in the year. He was, frankly, one of the most pleasant surprises of that team during the early part of the year when uh, the team itself was massively disappointing to everybody, and you know it was on the verge of really falling apart. But Wallach was doing his part, even it's a, though it was a very limited sample size. And just as things were turning around late in May, uh, I shouldn't say turning around, but as they were like pulling out of this state of dysfunction and playing more consistently, Wallach suffered a concussion. And he never made it back to the major leagues. This is going to be almost nine months removed from his last major league game because of setbacks that he had. He went on rehab assignment had to be recalled from the rehab assignment with ongoing concussion-like symptoms. Went on another rehab assignment had to be recalled. Went on a third rehab assignment late in the year had to be recalled. He just couldn't make it through. It was it's such an unpredictable issue to try to overcome brain trauma and to figure out where you are in that process and to get a feeling about what will aggravate that condition and what won't. So he's had a full off season and He's entering a year where he's not with his dad directly anymore. Tim Wallach had been the Marlins bench coach all throughout Don Mattingly's tenure here in Miami. And so that's a connection that he no longer has with this current team. And Wallach is on the 40-man roster. He still has a minor league option remaining. Uh, The thing is, um, as spring training goes along, and if they need to make room on the roster for somebody like Matt Kemp, if he really impresses or if it's just somebody in the bullpen that impresses as a non-roster invitee and is worth keeping on for the regular season, they have to make room on the 40-man somehow. Wallach is a guy that could be a casualty of that, simply because the Marlins already have Alfaro on the 40-man, and they have Francisco Cervelli, a very respected veteran. He was signed this offseason as well to a guaranteed contract, we saw throughout most of last season that the Marlins um, seemed to be pretty comfortable having just two catchers on the 40-man at one time and maintaining their flexibility in all other ways uh, by doing so. Wallach is right now the third guy in that situation. He, it's hard to see a path for him sticking on the active roster, considering both what Cervelli and Alfaro offer, so he'd be just biding his time in AAA, where the Marlins also have on an minor league deal they signed Ryan Lavarnway, who has even more major league experience than Wallach does. 
So if push comes to shove and they want to fit other veterans onto their roster at different positions, Wallach could be expendable in that situation, unless he really shows himself to be the exact same player that he was last year at this time before his concussion. Number three under the most pressure, outfielder Lewis Brinson, formerly the best top prospect in the Marlins organization. We were ready to coronate him as one of the faces of the franchise before he'd even played a game in the Marlins uniform. People were really excited about how he looked in spring training of 2018, and it has not translated to the majors at all. I've been very blunt about this, how he is one of the worst hitters, um, not just on this team and not just among current outfielders, but historically, you just can't find other players who entering, this will be his age 26 season, who at this age have had so many opportunities, which he he had close to a full year in 2018. And then last year, uh, nearly 250 plate appearances as well. Overall, he has more than a full season's worth of major league experience. And he's been totally unusable as in anything close to a regular role on the team. He strikes out constantly. Last year, he was one of the few players in the entire league who played so often and yet did not hit a single home run in the major leagues. When he was sent down to AAA, things were, as expected, much brighter. He had some tape measure home runs down there, showed his athleticism, um, including some versatility with both center field and with right field. But his defense is not that transcendent that it makes up for being like an automatic out offensively. There was... um, one of the top conversation topics on Marlins Twitter the past couple of years has been about Brinson and uh, where to bat him in the lineup, where he opens the 2018 season batting near the top of the lineup and even had some opportunities there in 2019 after he was recalled. And very quickly, when it became evident that he was the worst hitter in the lineup, Don Mattingly would drop him to the number eight spot where there's a pitcher behind him. He didn't have any protection, yada, yada, yada. And the bottom line is that he's had a very big sample, more so than someone like Chad Wallach or even Isan Diaz. With Brinson, we feel like we have a better idea of who he is, and who he is would be a bust, unless he makes fairly dramatic changes. He is someone who produced very well each of the last two years in spring training, and it has not carried over. He had put in a lot of work this offseason. He said on the fundamentals of his swing, hitting off a tee, but that is so different from recognizing different pitch types in major league games. There have been so many flaws in his offensive approach if you watch him consistently, and it's both the recognizing pitches, it's understanding the strike zone in certain counts, it's uh, using all fields, and really the lack of him using all fields. So what the Marlins are banking on is that James Rousen, who has been brought in as the new bench coach slash offensive coordinator after being so effective as a hitting coach for the Minnesota Twins, that having Rousen, having Eric Duncan, who's now going to be their regular hitting coach, these new voices um, in his head that hopefully they point him in the right direction and they allow him to find a consistent approach and understand uh, what it is that makes for really effective at-bats that he wasn't having last year. He has minor league options remaining. The Marlins are aware of the optics of what it would look like for a guy that grew up a Marlins fan, was raised in South Florida, and how it would look just a couple years after trading him and getting him as the centerpiece in the Christian Yelich trade to to get rid of him 
it would be taking a massive L and it would be inviting a lot of backlash. But it, he needs to show something different than what he's shown the last two years. Otherwise, that would be the appropriate move. These 40-man roster spots are precious. Um, and even if they aren't in a position at the end of camp to get rid of him, they could bury him in AAA. And it can make it clear that he won't have that consistent opportunity to play ever again. Even if he makes the opening day roster, I would be highly surprised to see him playing on an everyday basis just because you have this long track record that he simply um, is not helping you win games as an overall player. His spot uh, being penciled in on a regular basis into the starting lineup, that's over. That's likely over unless he really excels during spring training. Number two, first baseman Jesus Aguilar, who as we speak is uh, he'll be heading to Phoenix, I believe, Phoenix, Arizona, for his arbitration hearing, where I don't hold this against Aguilar at all. More so, the Marlins are in a dispute with him over his salary for this coming year. First time arbitration eligible, and he was projected to earn about $2.5 million. He filed, him and his agents, they filed for $2.575 million, just under two point six. million. The Marlins countered with two point three. It's a gap of $250,000, which is highly unusual to head to an arbitration hearing. Usually when it's a quarter million dollars apart, in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about payrolls for teams that are um, in the hundreds of millions, usually they can find a midpoint and agree to common ground before a hearing. Um, but the Marlins would not budge, and they're about to head to an arbitration hearing, which will interrupt his spring training preparation just a little bit. And even once they agree to that deal, um, it's a non-guaranteed. Uh, I'm not sure enough people are clear on this, but even during your arbitration-eligible years, this applies to Jose Orena as well, that if something goes really wrong in spring training, that the Marlins or any team that has an arbitration guy in his arbitration years, they can cut him and only owe a small fraction of that salary, whether it's 30 days' worth of a salary, about one-sixth, or um, if it's late in spring training, 45 days worth of salary is still owed to the player. An example of this would be D Dan Straley last year for the Marlins when they were very discouraged about his spring training and they had all these other young arms, these baby-faced aces that emerged during spring and they decided that he was expendable and they were able to get out from under several million dollars that was owed to him for the upcoming season. Aguilar is in Straley's shoes this year. We already mentioned Matt Kemp and that Kemp is uh, trying to add first base skills to his skill set and that for whatever combination of reasons, Kemp is considered to have an, a nice opportunity to make it onto the opening day roster. Then you start doing the math where even with these expanded rosters, 13 position players and with Aguilar, the one thing that he does not offer the team is versatility. He is first base DH type. Um, you do have to commend him on how he spent his offseason. Um, he was claimed by the Marlins barely over two months ago in December, and I, I think both he and the team came to a decision that he needed to lose weight. He's one of the, the heaviest players in Major League Baseball and certainly the heaviest on this roster this year, um, checking in at some points last year at close to 300 pounds, but reportedly he has dropped over 20 pounds off of that to get to 270, 275, 
And, um, but more so than that is his production, because for whatever reasons last year, he did not play well. He was coming off being an all-star in 2018 with the Brewers, hitting 30-something home runs, including a lot in high-leverage situations. He was beloved in Milwaukee, part of that team that went deep into the playoffs. Then in 2019, it was a much different story. He got off to an extremely slow start, he was not showing that over-the-fence power, and in the middle of the year, he kind of got dumped onto the Tampa Bay Rays, and in part-time action with the Rays, he only showed very modest improvement to his overall numbers. So when you look at it in total, he was a replacement-level player. He was a below-average league hitter, and if you're going to be a first-baseman DH and you're a below-average hitter and a, a liability as a base runner, then even on a team like the Marlins in this situation, despite how desperately they need to take steps forward offensively, he doesn't add a lot of value to that situation if he's the same player that he was last year. So when you have all these signs, when you have Matt Kemp uh, sneaking onto the roster, when you think most likely that Lewis Brinson will have some role on the opening day roster as well, um, when you have nice stories from last year, Hoomers, like a, a Harold Ramirez, like a Garrett Cooper, both of those guys, right-handed hitters, um, Cooper plays some first base, uh, Ramirez being a corner outfielder, and you have these guaranteed contracts that were given out to both Matt Joyce and Corey Dickerson, then yeah, you start doing the math and you wonder, they're not going to be able to fit all these guys on the roster at the same time. Even though with Aguilar, he may get a priority because he doesn't have minor league options remaining, but if the Marlins see him in spring training and they're concerned that he's the same player that he was last year, then they may simply cut ties while it's still really um, not much of a financial burden to do so. This is a critical year in the career of Jesus Aguilar. We've seen, unfortunately, time and again, how these lovable first base only types, they can fade very quickly and very unpredictably and not given a long benefit of the doubt considering the limitations in their skill set. He's been brought here to totally mash the ball, and he'll need to show that in order to stick on the squad for 2020. The number one Marlins player feeling the pressure this spring training, outfielder Magneris Sierra. You may remember late last year, after the Marlins were out of contention, they burned through so many outfield options who had disappointed already. He got a call up late in the year, and he hit 350, a 350 batting average in the major leagues as a 23-year-old and was disruptive on the base paths, mostly in a good way. He was very aggressive on the base paths in ways you rarely see from other players. And unfortunately, it was just a tiny, tiny sample, just a 15-game sample in the majors. That's because he spent most of the year in the major leagues, in the minor leagues, with AA Jacksonville, AAA New Orleans. He hit a handful of home runs in AAA, but he was one of many players aided by the conditions in the Pacific Coast League, and the changes to the AAA baseball that allowed it to carry some more. For the most part, we have already come to grips with the reality that he is not going to make quality contact in the major leagues. He doesn't really have the size for it, doesn't have the wrists to generate much power. The quality of contact off his bat, even last year when he was hitting 350, but even more discouraging if you rewind to 2018 when he had an even longer stretch on the Marlins roster, he, he rarely hits the ball out of the infield. He, even when he gets it in the air, it doesn't carry. 
He's a limited player in that aspect. He needs his legs and he needs his defense to carry him. And that's been another concern hovering over him is despite this nice tool set, the speed that he has, the arm strength that he has, um, the decisions that he makes defensively are uh, sometimes not ideal. And it prevents the kind of positive impact that he can have in that facet of the game. The reason why he's on top of this list is because when you couple together his mixed track record with his limitations in his game, he also is out of minor league options. Remember, Lewis Brinson still has one more. Some of these other players, Isan Diaz, of course, still has a couple more. Uh, Chad Wallach even has options. Robert Duggar, a lot of these guys that we've mentioned, uh, they're, they're mentioned in this list, even though they have options remaining. For Sierra, the pressure is compounded by the fact that if he's not on the active roster once we start the season, the Marlins are going to get rid of him or they're going to attempt to get rid of him. They're going to have to DFA him to make room for somebody else that is more deserving. It's hard to see any sort of reality moving forward for him where he plays as an everyday starting outfielder. Uh, Then again, with the expanded rosters, he doesn't necessarily need to be an everyday player to still be a valuable contributor. He could be a, a super base runner, a defensive replacement at certain positions if he's able to really get his head in the game and unleash his full potential as a defensive, a versatile defensive outfielder, which he hasn't entirely done to this point. As already mentioned, if Matt Kemp is going to get on the roster to be, you know, more of a platoon player, a pinch hitter, then that's one important spot that you don't have for an athletic outfielder to fit in the mix. Uh, The bottom line is that for both Brinson and Sierra, how are they going to coexist on this roster considering all the veteran upgrades that the Marlins have already made? And especially when you look forward just a few months and they have Monte Harrison and Jesus Sanchez knocking on the door and then another wave of outfielders coming up behind them that it's just a numbers game. It's a numbers. You can only have so many outfields options at the same time. And with Sierra especially, uh, there's no place to hide him. He's either on this roster or he's out of the equation. He was acquired in that Marcelo Zuna trade, and you know that this Marlins current front office, they want to give these players that were acquired as part of the rebuild, they want to have them on a long leash. They don't want to, they want, they don't want to really accept defeat and trading away some of their former stars for guys that ultimately don't pan out. But there comes a point where these players are a sunk cost when you realize what they are and you need to adapt accordingly because the end game in all this is creating a sustainable contender for this team. And to get there gradually, you're not going to get there in 2020, but to take an important step to getting there in 2020, you need to have talented players uh, establish themselves at the major leagues. You need to start filling in some of these important building blocks and understanding who is going to be in these roles long term. Is Sierra going to be in any role long term? Uh, best case scenario, he could be that platoon outfielder who's great in certain late inning situations coming off the bench. Is that really worth um, contorting the rest of your roster to accommodate him? Unless he takes certain steps forward with his game. Uh, I don't really see it Uh, unless he really shows a higher degree of batted ball quality during these spring training games. And when he's put in situations defensively, making sure he's making the right decisions, throwing to the correct cutoff man and communicating well with his teammates in the outfield. Those are the things you need to be looking for in these upcoming spring training games. 
to ensure that Sierra has a role with this team once the real games begin. I gotta thank everybody on Twitter who provided valuable guidance for this list by replying to us at Fistripes. Now that I put it all together, very eager to hear what you guys have to say about it, the players that you'll be watching especially closely this upcoming spring. It's right around the corner. As you're listening to this, uh, position players have all finally reported. We got our full squad workouts underway, and the Grapefruit League schedule kicks off on Saturday, February 22nd. Right after that, I'll be recording the next episode of Fish Bites with some instant reactions, probably some overreactions to what we saw, but make sure to take my comments from earlier in the episode into consideration. A lot of decisions have been made. There are, of course, roster battles going on, but really in a couple select pockets in this organization, very select position battles going on that will go a long way into filling out the roster and creating an identity for this 2020 Marlins team. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. This is Eli Sussman. Go Fish!